This is uh, basically theory two, unit nine, part one. Uh, just going to finish off gerontology from last week. So, uh, about the elderly in meds. So, in pharmacology, uh, next semester, you're going to learn that the pharmacokinetics of um, drug action is essentially boils down to um, four main stages with one thrown in there. So, um, uh, ingestion, uh, absorption, distribution, and excretion. And uh, in here somewhere is um, action of the drugs on the receptor sites. And what's important to appreciate about the elderly is that um, their ability to ingest, absorb, distribute uh, the, the sites where the drugs actually do their thing and excretion may be impaired uh, by different things. So. Um, their distribution of drugs may be altered just because of degenerative disease over time and age. Uh, metabolism may be decreased because um, uh, absorption, distribution, sorry I forgot to put metabolism in here, metabolism and excretion. Um, the metabolism may be decreased because they may have diminished liver function with age. Are you a note taker on the phone or are you sexting? I look. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually do look at your things on my phone. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Because it wouldn't be the first time, just saying. Oh. <laughs> I don't mean you, I mean oh, in general. Okay. <laughs> How do I know this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are they making like noises? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, sometimes people tell me things. Um, so they may have, uh, in terms of metabolism, they may have deteriorating liver function. Uh, excretion may be decreased if they've got uh, decreased kidney function, uh, decreased um, urinary uh, excretion. And um, their sensitivity may be altered as well, sensitivity to drug action. So um, uh, was it 15% have drug reaction? Oh, uh, sensitivity altered, sorry, what I meant to say. So 15% of the elderly have drug reactions versus 6% of the younger population. So all of the side effects you hear and read about drugs uh, may be more prevalent in the elderly. And for that reason, some elderly don't take any drugs. Uh, my mom's 88, she doesn't take any drugs at all. She would normally be on um, a statin drug to lower the cholesterol, but she just uses diet. And uh, uh, everything else is just diet and lifestyle for her because she reacts to just about every drug under the book. Um, so we also see uh, in the elderly a lot of drug misuse because of forgetfulness uh, and um, uh, just confusion over um, you know drugs that they're taking and the amount of drugs they should be taking. We also see uh, drug sharing. Um, I have to confess, I don't see a lot of drug sharing, but I have seen drug sharing, particularly for acute events like uh, angina. We see you know husband taking the wife's 
uh, nitroglycerin or vice versa. And sometimes, you know, neighbors come over and start administering nitroglycerin to some guy in chest pain, and by the time we get there, they've, they've had uh, 15, 20, 30 doses of nitro and they're unresponsive. Uh, it happens. Um, I've seen it a couple of times, and me other medics have seen it uh, as well. So, um, Um, hoarding of medications, and this is not generally by intention, this is just uh, the fact that people will take meds and uh, they'll get a new prescription, there'll be six pills left in the old bottle and they won't finish them off and you ask someone to collect the drugs into a bag or a box for you and you'll see 30 meds and they're only on 12 and uh, so somehow you're going to sort those out and generally what you need to do is look at the dates to see which ones are really old and which ones uh, are prescribed within the last three months or so. Generally speaking, uh, physicians will prescribe drugs for three months at a time. Um, one, to reduce the risk of hoarding. Two, to reduce um, the risk of drugs expiring. And three, to uh, reduce the risk of overdose in patients. And four, probably because from a healthcare cost perspective, it's not worth prescribing beyond about three months because if someone dies, that's a lot of wasted medication. So that sounds a little dark, but you know, why, uh, why have meds there when you don't need them? Um, people will self-medicate and sometimes they'll mix alternative remedies with medications, which can have some serious consequences because um, you don't know what you're getting with alternatives. Um, there's a, a massive black market in the alternative um, sort of remedies area where, where uh, prescription drugs are put into um, uh, alternative medicines and because they don't, uh, they're not under the same regulations, they don't um, get scrutinized and there aren't inspections uh, in the same way there are with uh, with actual prescription meds and I said this before I think for your interest it's worthwhile subscribing to Health Canada's med effects med effects uh, because they send notices out uh, on a daily or weekly basis whenever there's a, a recall of a medical device or a drug 99% of the time when there's a, a notice out it's a warning about an alternative remedy that either contains illegal prescription drugs, uh, most often the phosphodiesterase inhibitors, you know what I'm talking about? The erectile dysfunction drugs, right? Um, so if you go into one of those um, alternative um, food slash med stores, if you, s if you see something called Power Man, um, it probably has some sort of phosphodiesterase inhibitor in it illegally. <laughs> so um, if you're thinking, wow, this is cheap and it works, uh, that's probably why. Uh, the downside is it might kill you. So, um, so choose at your own peril. Um, but they also, uh, I s also see a lot of recall for alternate, alternate medicines uh, because they contain pathogens, virulent bacteria or viruses as well. So um, there may be other issues with improper drug storage uh, where drugs may be damaged due to moisture or heat or 
light, some drugs, not many prescription drugs, but some drugs are sensitive to light. Some of the drugs that you carry will be sensitive to light. So salbutamol is an example. It's um, the nebulized salbutamol that we administer comes in a, in a foil package. If you take the nebules out of the package and leave them out of the package and they're in a pouch that's open to light, uh, the light will change the drug chemically and so the drug may be inactive or may have diminished actions or may have alternative actions. So uh, where there's a light sensitivity or a moisture sensitivity, you have to be aware of that and um, take good care of that. But uh, we see this in the elderly as well. They used to tell people, you know, put, put your medications in your bathroom cabinet, but the bathroom cabinet's a bad place to put your meds because there's too much moisture from the shower in there. Kitchen's probably a better, better bet. <coughs> so drug misuse and, and abuse. Um, uh, most patients you're going to encounter have no idea what drugs are on or why they're on those drugs. Um, don't judge. It, it's just the way it is. Some people just go to their family doctor, they get meds, they take their meds, they don't know what they're for exactly and they don't really care. And that's just their thing, right? So um, your job is to know what the medication is for, what, uh, what kind of drug it is, and whether it interacts with one of the drugs you carry and plan to administer. I'll give you an example now. Um, one of the drugs the advanced care paramedics carry is adenosine. And adenosine is used to treat a supraventricular tachycardia, generally with a heart rate of greater than 150. And what it does is it, um, uh, it stops the SA node and the AV node from conducting. And it has a very short half-life of 10 seconds. So it's very fast acting. And typically when you give adenosine to someone with an SVT, they'll go asystolic for about 10 seconds, sometimes as long as 15 seconds. And then the SA node will kick in and fire again. Right? And it'll convert the SVT into a sinus rhythm. Um, but if you give adenosine to someone on uh, carbamazepine or um, uh, Agronox, uh, those drugs prolong the half-life of adenosine. And so they may go asystolic for several minutes. And if they go asystolic for several minutes, they're dead. And they're likely going to stay dead. So it would look really bad on an ACP's resume to give someone adenosine when they're on one of those drugs, diperidamol, agronox, um, carbamazepine. Uh, that would be bad, bad news. So the, the bottom line with any drug that you administer is if, is if your patient is on prescription drugs, and you're not familiar with some of those drugs, before you start administering drugs, you gotta look up their drugs and make sure there are no drug-to-drug -drug interactions between their prescription drugs and the medication you're gonna administer. Now the good news is most of the meds you administer uh, don't interact with other drugs in any significant way. You know, ASA, salbutamol, epinephrine, those are all fine, but just be aware. Um, Adverse drug reactions that are common, uh, scheduling difficulties are an issue, and some drugs are should be taken in the morning, some drugs should be taken in the, later in the day, and um, it'll usually say on the, on the, um, the bottle or the box. And um, it's, it's not your role or mine to um, spend a lot of time educating the patient about when they should and shouldn't be taking their drugs, but that, that is a role of community paramedics. Uh, so they'll check drugs and make sure that, you know, azetamide is a drug that decreases the absorption of um, cholesterol and should be taken in the morning. On the other hand, the statin drugs like rosuvastatin, which lowers cholesterol, 
similar drug, different mechanism is a drug that should be taken at night before you go to bed. So two drugs that address the same condition, but different mechanisms of action better be taken at different times of the day, just as an example. But most people, they don't know that, right? They, they don't know and they don't care. It's like, you know, I've got meds I'm supposed to take in the morning, I've got meds I'm supposed to take at night. I'm not doing it twice a day. Once a day is hard enough. I'm just going to take them all now, right? So uh, what can you do about that? You can talk to family, see if they can help out. Uh, then there's cost issue. Um, uh, a lot of patients, um, you know, when they're working, they've got a drug plan. Um, when they're retired, when they're over 65, the drugs are covered, which is good news. But if they retire before 65, uh, then they may have to pay out of pocket for the drugs. And some people will just stop taking the drugs because they can't afford to pay for them. Some drugs are quite expensive. and. Um, uh, I've had patients uh, who had low income or were on welfare who stopped taking a drug because they just simply couldn't afford it. Uh, now on welfare they should have it covered, but um, I had a guy who was uh, 45 or so and uh, he had a uh, ST segment elevation myocardial infarction and um, he had an infarction recluded the exact same coronary vessel almost not quite a year earlier. Um, and he was supposed to be taking Plavix, which is similar to aspirin. It keeps platelets from clumping together, but it works under a different mechanism. And um, he didn't take it because he could afford the aspirin, but he couldn't afford the Plavix. And post-MI, you gotta take Plavix or Tecagrelol for at least a year, um, but they're expensive drugs, right? So people stop taking them. So like I said, don't judge. Um, it's just the way people are. Some people just, you know, they'll tell you, I don't believe in meds, I don't believe in hospitals, I don't believe in doctors. It's somewhat pointless to have, sit there and have a discussion with them or an argue with them about it. It's just, you know, you're not a social worker and you just don't have that kind of time and resources to spend with them to explain why this is important. Um, but uh, just know that you're gonna encounter these sorts of things and you know, you just, uh, it's important to know in terms of the history to uh, help you narrow down the differential diagnosis. You know, if you've got someone with chest pain, you know, it could be a half a dozen things or, or more. Um, but if they're not taking their anticoagulants or their antiplatelet drugs, chances are really good you're dealing with a acute coronary syndrome, maybe a myocardial infarction. Uh, duplicate meds, very common. Um, people have two, three bottles of the same meds. If they're not sorting them out in little packs, they may be uh, uh, inadvertently overdosing, in some cases underdosing. It's easy to do, especially if, if you're sorting out your own drugs and you've got you know uh, eight pills in the morning and three pills at night. And uh, as you, you know, take them out of the boxes and the pill, the pill bottles at the start of the week, if you, you know, it's easy to miss a pill for one day you know, you think you put one in every little box and you haven't, and that could be the patient doing that or it could be a family member doing that or you missed one at night or you put two in one day instead of one and, you know, you're inadvertently overdosing during the day. It, it's really, uh, uh, it's a bit of a nightmare in search of a solution. So I think, you know, in the future when we have nanotechnology and there are little nanobots attached to every single pill, and uh, your phone will go beep. You took, you know, one too many enalapril, 
prepare to die, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or you forgot your azetamide, <laughs> better take it now. <laughs> you know, hopefully there's another nanobot in there that's just disassembling the, the extra drug that you've taken and um, transporting it directly to the liver for metabolism. But uh, uh, it's a problem. It's a wonder, uh, you know, it's, and it's not just a problem for the individual. What you've got to remember is that, you know, everything we do in healthcare is a bit of a social contract, right? We have a social contract, you, me, all of us, to um, take care of ourselves to some extent and to take our medications as prescribed because when we don't, we end up uh, consuming healthcare dollars and that costs all of us as taxpayers, right? So uh, if, um, you know, Buddy doesn't do up his seatbelt in my car, uh, not only does it become a projectile and puts my life at risk from flying around the, with his, you know, f body flying around the car, but he's also uh, 20 times more likely to be seriously injured or disabled, and he goes in the hospital for months at a time and then rehab, and that's costing me as a taxpayer, right? So, so no one can say, it's my life, I'll do what I want. It's not your life. Your life is my life and her life and you know, Phil's life, it's everyone's life. Right? Especially Phil's. Phil worries about people all the time. And yeah, I know. I know. He's a caring, caring kind of guy. Right? So, so we have a social contract. Um, the elderly will have memory deficits, physical limitations. And um, uh, so in terms of drug effect, um, you and I have to always go into a call with a high index of suspicion, meaning that if we've got a patient who's unwell for whatever reason, or they're hypertensive or hypotensive, uh, we have to consider that the, the cause may be due to inappropriate drug use. Uh, not taking enough of the drug, not taking their drug at all, or taking too much of the drug when they shouldn't be, or uh, so in addition to all the other potential causes of hyper, hypotension, hemorrhage, and so on and so forth. We used to see a lot of um, gastrointestinal bleeding from people taking uh, what we call COOX-2 inhibitors, so NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like ASA is an NSAID. There are lots of other NSAIDs. If you look up Google NSAID on, uh, on your computer, uh, you'll get a long list of NSAIDs. You should have that long list on your phone somewhere so that if someone says, I'm allergic to blank, and you don't know what that drug is, you need to know if it's an NSAID because you can't give them ASA if they're allergic to a drug that you're not familiar with, right? So, um, so um, anyway, we used to get uh, gastrointestinal bleeds uh, quite a bit on patients who were on NSAIDs for arthritis. And uh, this was a, um, a fairly routine thing. We stopped seeing as many of those GI bleeds about uh, eight to 10 years ago, I would say. Uh, so I'm not sure what they're using um, for um, arthritis, but uh, uh, less and less they're using NSAIDs, which is good. Any questions about meds in the elderly? No? Uh, yeah, it can be really interesting stuff, sort of investigating what they're taking and why they're taking it. And um, you'll find, uh, again, if you subscribe to Medifax, you'll find sometimes patients are on drugs that um, have been um, have warnings on them and may still be on the market, but uh, perhaps shouldn't, they shouldn't be taking anymore because of the warnings. <coughs>